Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging podcast. Today, I have a very, very, very special guest, someone that I've wanted on my podcast for a long time because she is so giving of her time. She's a big support for teachers and for her students, and she has so many different things going on in her life, so I can't wait to talk to her. Uh, Rochelle Dene-Poth, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Eileen. I'm excited to be here and thankful for the chance to get to see you and talk with you as well. Thank you. Well, I didn't really say too much, uh, except that you have a lot going on. So uh, please tell our listeners a little bit more about what you do and, and what you're into these days. Yeah, I am. I, I do a lot of things. I like to keep busy, even during breaks, weekends, you name it. I've just, I've always been that way, especially when it comes to education and school. So I am currently a Spanish and STEAM teacher, and uh, I've taught at my school for a, a long time at this point. I, I lose track of how many years, but it's definitely, it's around 20 or so. So I've been in education for a while and uh, previously taught French, but currently the last probably five or six years, I've been teaching Spanish and then a STEAM course, eighth graders, all on emerging technology and really anything with technology, because the nice thing about it is it's, it's called what's next in emerging tech. And so every day there's new, so I can just pull in an idea. So that's fun. Um, I'm also an attorney, which surprises a lot of people, but that yes. was something <laughs> that I added on in pursuit after I had already been teaching full-time and then uh, an author and blogger. So always writing and reading and just looking for more opportunities to connect and, and keep on learning. Yeah, and you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later, all the hats that you wear. And we've kind of encountered each other through the Edumatch uh, publishing group and the Edumatch group, and also um, on your Facebook group with Thrive. And, um, you know, I have to sort of tell everybody that um, in your latest book, I have one of my stories. And so we'll be talking about that also. But the first question I like to ask my guests is if I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh my, I, I think there, there was like, there was one and then something else beat it out <laughs> a little bit, but truly it's just feeling like you're part of something. And whether that's in the classroom with my students or with my, my peers, family, friends, just feeling that you're connected in some way to somebody else, or even um, just with your ideas, I think. And, and I laughed initially when I started to answer this for you is because I was thinking about how many years ago where I really didn't feel like I belonged. And part of that is the reason why I do so much of what I do now, where I'm trying to make sure that I'm staying active and making connections, not just for me, but for my students and, and how important it is to have that, that sense of belonging. So that's why initially I thought, mm, I don't know how can to answer this one, but it, it, it's good to feel connected to somebody 
especially now with so much going on. And I think, you know, that sense of belonging is really important for our students and for ourselves, of course. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting that you, you started out with sort of not having those connections and not feeling like you belong and being able to use that as the stepping stone for realizing that you, you wanted to connect more. And now you're so connected, which is really, really amazing. Um, again, one of the reasons why I'm fangirling here a little bit, I'll be honest with you, because I've been following you for a really, really long time. And um, it's just really wonderful that I, I finally have you as a guest on my podcast. But you mentioned the, the various things, I call them the different hats that you wear. I thought you had studied to be an attorney first, but you just mentioned that you were teaching and then you went back and, and studied the law. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you um, wear all those hats, how you have time for all those hats. And do you have any favorites or are there reasons for things that you did at a certain time in your life? Um, like now you said you're doing STEAM in Spanish. Somebody might say, well, those two things don't seem to go together. Um, so sort of help us figure that out. Great questions, all of which I've had people ask me before, because they, the first thing too, is a lot of people think that I was an attorney and then decided to go into teaching, but it was, it was the opposite. I mean, I had been teaching for, I think, six years already full-time at my school. And prior to that, I substituted for three years when I, and my actual certification for my undergrad is not in Spanish, it's in French. But when I graduated from Penn State, I couldn't find a job just teaching French so after some recommendations of getting a second certification, I decided on Spanish. And in that time, also earlier in my life, I was a real big fan of reading uh, John Grisham novels and just fascinated by anything related to the law in legal terms. But when I got my certification in Spanish, a couple of the courses were focused on translation. And so then I decided maybe I'll become a translator and we had to take legal translation which fascinated me because I was able to understand so much of it because of the French and the Spanish knowledge that it also tied into my interest in reading those novels. And so I kind of looked into the possibility of being a paralegal just as a side. And then that kind of went out of my mind. And I don't, I don't know what made me think about it, but I thought, I wonder if I could go to law school. And so I took the uh, law school admissions test, got the score, didn't really know what it meant because we never know with some of those <laughs> sure. tests. Standardized tests, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I didn't think that it was good enough, and so I just kind of let it go because I was teaching full time. It wasn't mm -hmm. that I wanted to get out of teaching. I just I was curious about something else that I could do that could challenge yeah. myself, and so I decided a couple of years after that, I didn't even tell anybody. Nobody in my family knew. I just decided to apply. Wow. Uh, I had to take the test again, got the score, still didn't know what it meant any, any different than the prior time. <laughs> You're so and funny. Uh, I mean, that's the truth. And yeah. uh, in Pittsburgh, we have two possibilities. We have the University of Pittsburgh mm -hmm. and we have Duquesne Law School. And now Pitt doesn't offer an evening program, but Duquesne did. And so I applied, I thought, you know what, if I get in, great. And if I don't, then at least I'll know, because I don't want to wait until later on in life and think, I wonder if... And that bothered me. So I applied, I was accepted, I was shocked and uh, decided to go with it, not knowing that it was four years, four nights a week. But I made that decision when I didn't have to. I mean, everybody said, why are you doing this? Like, you have a good job, you're a teacher. Do you wanna quit teaching? And I said, no, I said, it's just about 
my own interests and challenging myself and just to keep learning and something different. And um, so I did that. And that has been, oh my goodness, I graduated and took and passed the bar in 2006. But uh, and it's that's it's hard to believe that that much time has passed. But I truly and I say this often, too, is I don't I don't think and I say that with pretty I don't know, pretty high amount of certainty. I don't think I would still be in teaching, be a teacher, had it not been for that experience in law school. Really? For so many Why? reasons. Yeah. yeah. Um, it put me in, well, it helped me to become more connected to people and to feel like I belonged and I was part of a different community because like I said, in my school, I was keeping myself you know, isolated because I was having challenges and struggling and I didn't want anybody to know and I didn't feel comfortable telling anybody about it. So I figured I would just, keep to myself, try to work through it. And that was it. And when I went to law school, you're there with all of those same people in your class four nights a week. So sitting side by side and there were, there were struggles. I mean, I, I would, would study so much and do so many things. And I remember, and I tell this story to my students too, is one night in contract law, I was terrified. They do, they use Socratic method and it was my turn to answer. And I, I knew everything that I had read, but I couldn't apply that knowledge in a different scenario or at a higher level. And the teacher spent three hours almost between two weeks asking me questions that I could not come up with the answers for. And I was so uncomfortable. And so that gave me, yeah, it gave me like such a perspective of what students are feeling in my class. If I'm asking them the question and whenever they're saying either, I don't know the answer, I can't do this, call on somebody else, I'm going to get it wrong. And yeah. when I would kind of let them kind of get away with that, because I knew what that felt like as a student. But mm-hmm. then whenever I saw that experience and he would not <laughs> let me get out of it, I finally, I said, you know what? I think maybe you should just call on somebody else that knows the answer. Because I, I mean, at first I wanted to cry because everybody is, you know, the pressure. Looking at you. Yeah. Yeah. And his responses to me were hilarious. And I, I, I really liked this <laughs> professor, uh, but he was standing in the front of the room, looking at the ceiling, you know, getting red in the face because I wasn't coming up, up with the answer. But I developed tremendous wait time after that. And I also realized like, we can't just let students get away with not knowing the answer or saying, oh, just pick on somebody else because it's not doing them any favors and helping them to learn and push through that. So that's a big lesson I learned. And then it gave me, you know, one, the perspective of students and what it's like to be a student in the classroom and how I can change the methods I was using as a teacher and, and push them to think at a different level. But then the other biggest piece of that is I learned about the power of relationships in the classroom because of some of those professors, uh, ones like that, that, you know, like I had, I went in and I sat down, I talked with him after, and he was very supportive and trying to help me build my skills in that area. But uh, beyond that, I had a, a tremendous mentor who I've been friends with, you know, ever since it's like 14 years. And I, I saw what it really meant to be a teacher and learn right. from that experience. And then I was applying that in my classroom. So it just, it helped me on those levels, but it also helped me to build confidence in myself. Um, and I think that's kind of where my ability to speak to other people and to kind of share my ideas came from. So that's why I say, I, I don't know if I take that out of my life story, if I would be doing what I'm doing today. Yeah. Isn't that funny how, we have these opportunities and we take them. And at the time, we really don't know why it seemed the right thing to do, but we listen to our heart, we listen to our gut, and it seemed to be directing us that way. And then 
looking back now, we can say, oh, okay, that was the path that I was supposed to take because, and all of these things that you wouldn't think were related to learning the law. I mean, you know, you figure it would take a different direction in terms of your job or whatever. But isn't it wonderful that you're able to share that experience or those experiences with your students and have them learn from them the things that you also learned. And isn't it terrific that you're a lifelong learner and you also learn not just the law, but better teaching. And so does that sort of inform or did that push you to really um, help other teachers or mentor other teachers? Because I know you do so much with and for the teaching community. And please mention some of the things that you, you've done or that you are doing, including your Facebook group and the things you do with um, Melody McAllister, um, the books that you write, the blogs, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, all of that is in support of teachers. Yeah, and you know, like you never know where life's gonna lead you. I mean, I tell my students all the time, they'll say, well, I'm not going to use Spanish later on in life. And I say, you know what, funny, cause you never know because <laughs> I didn't true. take Spanish in high school. I never would have thought that I'd be a teacher of French, let alone Spanish or what I'm doing. I said, it's about the possibilities and the opportunities that you create for yourself. I said, because you really, you don't know. And, and even now I joke with friends and family and say, well, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up or what I want to be when I grow up. And they're like, aren't, don't you already have a career? <laughs> and I do, but it's, yeah. I, I think it, it's just, I like to keep on learning. I like to connect with other people. And I think, and I, I was in a conversation yesterday and it occurred to me, I think a lot of what I do stems from the fact of what I kept myself from for so many years. And that was getting out there, meeting people, making connections, um, caring more about the students than the content, because I was so focused on doing what I had experienced in the classroom as a language teacher, or a language student at that time and right. bringing that in because I didn't really know all the different methods. I mean, I went to school years ago and the methodology courses that we had were not anything near what they are today. And we didn't right. have the technology to connect. And so I was very limited in, in my skill set. And I used whatever had been used with me as a student and I figured what worked for me, it's going to work for everybody else. But then through multiple years and then just really getting to know the students, I realized that's not going to work. Like it yeah. doesn't happen. So I tried to do different things. I also, because of the law school, you know, made some different friendships and really enjoyed having those connections and feeling like I was part of something because like keeping yourself isolated for six, seven years of teaching, you come home. I mean, that's, that was my existence. It's like, that's I went miserable, to work. miserable, really. It, yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. And I, I just kind of built upon that over the years. And um, I think back to like 2014 is when I first, I think started to use Twitter because prior to that, I didn't get any of the Twitter, Facebook. It, I was like, I, I don't know how I feel about this. But then once I started to use those and saw who I could, I can't even say who I could connect with yeah. between uh, family, friends, and then just other educators right. and all that I could bring in. But prior to that, I'd never wanted to speak during PD sessions in my school. I was the person that would say, you know really? what, I will take, yeah, I will take things to the wall. Wow. I will take the notes. I will do whatever. Just don't make me be the person. Don't put me up at the up. front of the room. Yeah. No. And I had to do that once. And the only reason I wasn't uncomfortable is because it was talking about 
I forget what tool at the time. It was one of the technology tools. And so that was in my wheelhouse. And so I was fine with it. But they had students come in from seventh grade and do a presentation about something they had done kind of like a book report, but it was some different way that they chose to do that. And I remember sitting in that room, looking around thinking, these seventh graders have no fear of speaking in front of this room full of teachers. And I would not want to get up there and do that. And from that moment on, I realized, wow, these kids have been saying to me, I don't want to stand in front of my classmates and read this in Spanish. Can't I just sit here? And I was like, what do you mean? They're your classmates. You're around them. But then I didn't want to do the same thing. So that was the start of me realizing, like, if I'm going to ask my students to do something, I need to be doing that myself. And I need to go beyond just what I know. I need to put myself out there and learn new things because if I'm only teaching them what I know, I'm completely limiting their, their potential for growth. And uh, this is not anything that came to me overnight either, by the way, this is, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's been, I mean, 2020, 2021 here, we're moving in and uh, can't keep track of the years they pass by so quickly, but how many years it has taken to get to the point where, you know, you do feel more connected and you're, you're leveraging these different spaces and it can be overwhelming for teachers, but and that's kind of, and you mentioned my Facebook community, that's kind of why I started. I actually wanted to start it about a year ago. And I had talked to Melody about it a couple of times and saying, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I want to do this. And there were just so many things going on with uh, the remote instruction and just the time never seemed right. And then over the summer, there were a lot of different conversations happening. And I, I was getting a sense that there, there, weren't, there, there weren't a lot of positive spaces where some people could just feel like, not that it's about being positive all the time, mm-hmm. but just a, a space where there wasn't all of the other stuff happening. Like there wasn't all the things on Twitter and there wasn't all these other like really large communities. And so I just, on a Friday night, I just created it, started inviting people. And uh, the rest is, you know, kind of history at this point yeah. because we're How many people it. in the group now? Uh, you know? I think, I think it's, it might have turned, I think it's about 600 now. So wow. it's, it's pretty good. I, I get so excited when I see new people join and I'm trying to encourage people to join. And it's, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a nice group. We try to have fun in the community and invite people to come and talk with us or mm-hmm. uh, with our lives or anything, but yeah. also about sharing what they're doing. You know, if you're writing yeah. something, if you're reading something, if you're nervous or frustrated by something like post it in the community, because that's what the space is really there for. Yeah. It's, it's a really welcoming community. And I love the fact that when you have several people that will, will that will come in at least initially, I don't know if you're still able to do that, that you would welcome them and, you know, ask ask everybody to introduce themselves. And, you know, many times you join a Facebook group and you're there um, and you contribute, but it's not really the kind of, oh, I opened my door and there's somebody standing at the door welcoming me, right? Right. So, um, and so tell me about how you came up with Thrive in EDU, which which is the name of the Facebook group. Yeah, that, uh, that goes back, I guess, almost two years ago now. I was talking with, um, let's see, Mandy Freilich and Jennifer Cassatod, and we were talking about forming an LLC and just all of these conversations. And so I was trying to think of just what my passions were in education, uh, anything, you know, some kind of a word. And I, I loved the word thrive. And then I came up with words that comprise the word thrive, which is actually uh, unveiled in the, in the latest book, but it is something that I created initially as my LLC. And then I made it my hashtag. 
and then of course the Facebook community as well. And it was also part of my prior EduMatch book, which was Unconventional Ways to Thrive in EDU. So it just has been evolving over time, but it actually stands for um, things that I think you need in education, tenacity, honesty, relatability, integrity, vulnerability, and empathy. And so in the book, which you have a story and they all fall under, all the stories fall under one of those themes. And uh, so that's, that's where it evolved from and thrive to Twitter, <laughs> the hashtag. I have a, another Twitter account, but hopefully people will actually enjoy joining the community and, and contributing and just feeling like they're part of something and, and yes. a good space to be supported. Yes. And you feel that when you, when you sort of, when you get in there is that everybody is looking out for the other and it's um, not a heavy group. It's, it's a group that really wants to just support and uh, not be over positive, but to, to feel positive about, about what we're doing. And so um, you mentioned, since you mentioned the book, I'd love to talk a little bit more about it. So um, I'm, I'm sure you've been asked this before because the book just came out last week, correct? Right. Yeah. So yeah. tell us a little bit about the background of how the book idea got started, what's in it, and why you asked educators to contribute to it. Yeah. So um, the, the book, if I go back to my first, well, uh, the first three books that I, that I had written, two of them, I asked for a different educator stories, whether the first book had some chapters by educators, and then I had some short vignettes. And I really like hearing the stories of others because, I mean, I like to tell my story because I hope that it helps somebody else to think sure. like, wow, you know, I'm doing that. I'm feeling that same thing, mm -hmm. but I also, it's not all about me. And I think there's so much more power in telling the stories of others, which I always equate that to, you know, if you're going to do a professional development session, it's one thing when teachers stand up there and say, Hey, this is how I use it. This is what you can do. This is what the students think. But when you can combine that, or if even replace that with students who are saying, this is what we use, this is why I like it, this is what I can do with whatever this tool is, then that has proven to be so much more powerful when the students are sharing their stories. And so Absolutely. for me, I love the combination of just my story, but then here's all of these other stories that, that show that. Plus, it's great for me because it helps me to learn too. So the book, the current one, came to be because I was thinking about all of the lessons over the years and interactions that I have with students that you kind of forget about. Um, there were, and there were so many more that, that I could have put into this book. And I actually intended to have it be just this list of things, different events that happened in my classroom, whether they were good, bad, ridiculous, anything in between that, what was my takeaway? What's the lesson that I learned? What's the lesson that somebody else could learn from that? And then think about that one kid, which we don't just have one kid. I mean, there's all those kids but what do we learn from them? Because as much as we have to teach, I mean, we have so much to learn from them and the experiences that happen in our classrooms. And so I had this really long list going. Uh, it was handwritten on paper one time and then I actually converted it. And I remember sitting in with my, some of my Spanish three students about a year and a half ago. And the, I think my, my one book had just, my first book had just come out and they were like, oh, did you write about us in the book? And I said, well, kind of. I did have some little story about something that had happened. And I said, but, you know, I'm thinking about adding this others, all these other stories into maybe another book that I'm going to write about. And I went through the list and they were laughing because some of them involved things that had happened throughout, you know, for me as a Spanish, I'm the only Spanish teacher. So for some of my students that are in Spanish three, okay. unless they've transferred from another school, 
they've only had me. So we have years and years of like Amazing. those Amazing, yes, yeah. But it, it, it makes us connected. So there is that sense of belonging that happens over time because you have those like, ah, oh, remember when this person did this and you know, you, you feel, and, and some of them were not funny at the time. Like they were very disruptive or um, hurtful sometimes. I mean, it's not all about the humor, but it's about being able to look back on that. What did I learn from that? What did it help me to do differently? How did I grow from it? And so I had this long list. And when I started to write the book, I knew I wanted to have other educator stories in because I wanted to find about all of those other kids that were out there. And I just sent out to, I mean, there were some people that I, I reached out directly to that had shared stories, stories in the prior book, but I also just opened it up to anybody. I was posting on Twitter like every single day because I was working on two different books, um, this one, and then another one that'll be out in a couple of months, probably six months or so, uh, things I wish, like things I wish I knew when I started teaching, things I wish administrators knew. And I, you know, I had a good response and, um, you know, it takes time to get the book together. But what I noticed is I decided to go less me, more of everybody else. And so with this book, there are, including myself, there are 38 different educators that have shared stories in it. I mean, oh, I, have wow. I didn't realize yeah. there were so many. That's amazing. Yeah. And then even just with the, um, the sketches and the graphics and the art and so forth that I put in that, I think I had 10 different people that I asked to contribute. So it's about 50 people. Then when you add on the focus group, you know, you got like almost 60 people that you're kind of facilitating through this writing project, but it's just, it's awesome to have that experience. Uh, it's time consuming because you're trying to weave in, at least for this book, because I was trying to read the stories um, and find what theme I thought they resonated the most with. And in some cases, like I have papers where I have letters like T V E R, you know, <laughs> just trying to balance it out. Then I'm looking at word yes. count. And there are some that, that went all across every single one. And so mm -hmm. I tried to see which one was the strongest out of that. And so I'm really happy about this book. I mean, everybody says, what's your favorite? I can't ever pick a favorite. I'm, I love the first book because the cover of it <laughs> being a cat and the stories and that some of my students wrote a chapter. And I think that's just amazing for students, juniors in high school to write a chapter in a book mm -hmm. and then all of the stories that were in that. But then this one, because of the stories, but also because of my own personal story about a friend that I had lost about a year and a half ago, who for me, I, I realized like after his passing, even in the summer, like he was that one kid. And what an impact he made, just, not just on my life, but on the lives of so many other people. And so I talk about him in the book and, um, you know, it's, there's, there's stories in yes. here that, yeah, they'll make you laugh. It's sort of a tribute, tribute to, to that student, but also to all the other students. Right. Yeah. yeah so. Did you find there were stories that resonated with you from other teachers and you said to yourself, oh, I remember that student. I had one yep. like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and normally when I read some of the stories, I, I mean, it wasn't even just the student, like I would think of a name like, oh, that's, you know, that's this student. Oh, gosh. <laughs> because some yeah. of them were so were so so close, like, or I could picture a student, you know, over the years that there was a similar situation or something. And I thought, wow, yeah, we all have these stories. And maybe we don't necessarily think about at the time, what lesson we might have taken away from that, or what it can help us to do differently. Or maybe it's even the case with some of the stories I, I read, and I thought, wow, I wonder how many kids I've missed, because I wasn't, you know, really observing 
their interactions in the classroom or maybe you know noticing that they, they were coming in and they didn't have like a, a warm coat to wear in the winter and just things like that that there's so many things that we have to be mindful of that right i mean things are going to get or they're going to slip by us and i think that just doing our best to be really mindful of all of those things and looking out for those kids so i'm hoping that when people read through the book they'll really enjoy the stories uh hopefully connect with the people that wrote the stories as well but take another look at the students in their classrooms, but not even just the classrooms. I mean, it's all students in our school. Sure, yeah, we should be looking out for all of them. And especially, you know, that creates that school climate where the student walking into the building, the teacher walking into the building immediately feels like they belong, they feel safe because, and they don't have to wait till they get all the way to the classroom, the whole building gives them that sense of belonging. And I, th I think that's really, really important. So, um, so yeah, all of that is really interesting. I'll make sure to put the link to all of your books uh, in the show notes so that everybody has them um, because I'm sure they want to see what the other books are. And of course we look forward to the next book that comes out uh, hopefully in, in 2021. So um, I also wanted to ask you um, about how you, um, sort of your, your writing, because I know that you write often, you blog for Getting Smart and a number of other organizations. Um, you write about different tech tools, but you also write about SEL. Uh, I, it's obvious, I think, to even our listeners by now that you're a lifelong learner, but uh, what particular things are you really passionate about? Uh, did that, does that change over time or did that change over time? Yeah, it, it definitely has changed over time. I mean, even just in the writing that I do, whenever I, I started to blog, which I didn't even know what a blog was years ago, the, the first blog I had ever written was for SurveyMonkey, which is, people were like, what? I had been using SurveyMonkey, just the free, like up to 10 questions, as a way to either do like a quick assessment in my classroom or to get feedback and reflections from students, just similar to what we would do for regular surveys. And then at that time, I had started to do some presentations at conferences. And so I was reaching out to some of the different companies for the tools that I use to say, you know, hey, could you send some stickers or something? Because I'm going to do a presentation. I'd like to, that visual representation, like here's the logo or something to kind of connect. And SurveyMonkey said that they would be happy to send me some things to display and even something to give away. Would I mind writing a blog? And I said, okay, well, how many words? And I think they said like 500 to 700. And at the time I thought, wow, that's a lot of that's words. That's a lot of what words, am I yeah. gonna write? <laughs> And I was so stressed out about writing it, but then I realized I just have to write about how I've been using it in my classroom. And so that was the first one that I did. And then I started to think about, well, what else could I write about? Because you, you get to that point where you think, well, what am I gonna write about? Why would people even wanna read it? There's so many blogs out there. Same thing with podcasts. There's so many podcasts out there. Well, because we all tell a different story and we all have different experiences. And so you might, for me years ago, I mean, I really wish that somebody, I would have read a blog or listened to something if they even existed at that point to help me to realize like, oh, you know what? I'm having that same problem. I'm not alone. I can try this. And maybe it doesn't work, but, and that was what I thought is I thought, let me just write what I'm doing especially as a language teacher using technology because I love as a, as a child, I'm not going to say what, what decade, but as a child, I loved technology. We had computers. I mean, I would write codes, program, you name it. And so that's where my, my 
technology piece comes in with my steam okay. course is that I have this long love attack and was already doing things with like augmented virtual reality. And so being able to teach that has been awesome. But over time, you know, I started with writing about what I knew, what was comfortable, what was easy. And then about three and a half, maybe years ago, I think I, I had already written a couple of blogs for getting smart, but they were really just reviewing conferences like FETC. And then there were some different topics. And the first one I think that really challenged me was artificial intelligence, because I realized like, I'm only writing about things I know, and it's not helping me to learn anything. I'm just telling you my experience. So I really right. need to get myself into like research and learning what's out there. And so that was kind of the start of it. And then since then, over time, I mean, I've looked at artificial intelligence, the augmented virtual reality, and then some topics like entrepreneurship and then future ready. But then I really started to get more into social emotional because again, there was, that was the theme for one of the months. And I thought, I, I'm not doing this in my classroom. But then what I thought about, I went, oh, wait, I'm doing these types of activities. Like I am, I just didn't realize, which I think happens. You didn't a have a label for it, right? Right, Yeah. right. Because you think I'm not app smashing. Somebody said to me at ISTE, my first ISTE, you're app smashing. And I said, I don't know what that means. <laughs> And, and she looked at me with this like, wait, but you're at a technology conference. And I said, well, what's app smashing? And she explained, I went, oh yeah, I'm app smashing. I, I, didn't, that, I yes. didn't know. It just in blended learning. I didn't, I didn't know. I just kind of fell into some of yeah. those things. So it's the same, same thing with, with looking at it. I think it was, uh, I was, I was using like stations and different games and things mm -hmm. where the kids work together. I just didn't see it through that lens of like, here are these five areas that I, I need to focus on. So right. that was the start of where I, I kind of pushed myself more to be a, of a learner rather than just somebody who's saying, this is what I do, mm -hmm. but still tying in, like, this is what I do a little bit, but it really pushed me. So that's what I really like about the writing is that I have to, I feel like I have to keep going. So I'm writing all the time. I just finished a blog this morning that I needed to get back to about uh, virtual reality and every day there's something that I'm, I'm trying to write, whether it's a book, whether it's a blog, uh, whether it's a post in my Facebook community to be funny. I don't know. Yeah. But well, uh, I, I guess it's, it's therapeutic. I know for many people, writing is really therapeutic. It's, it's sort of the way they get their feelings out. Um, people who journal. So your way is sort of sharing what you're learning and what you're doing in your own classroom. So, uh, Yeah. For, for those listeners who feel sort of daunted by all the technology that's out there, by um, writing on a regular basis, uh, learning new things, what's, what's sort of your advice for how to get started? Because you weren't doing this all at once, obviously, right? <laughs> no, that would just be a mess. Um, it's just so much. And, and you're right, like it, especially in the past I don't know how long it's been now, nine, 10 months, almost a year going on a year where we've been in this remote shifting back and forth and had to, for some teachers, they may not have been using much technology at all. And not necessarily because that was their choice. It's just, they didn't have the access and the devices for themselves or more importantly for their students. And so had to kind of embrace so much. And I think the best advice and what I've, I've given is start with something simple, but simple in the sense that it's something that's very robust and versatile enables you to do a lot. And so my go-to all of last year, whenever the schools closed was always Buncee because especially with elementary teachers, uh, they wanted to be able to, you know, talk to their students, read to their students, let the students hear their voices and all of that. And I said, 
everything that they were saying they wanted to do, I was like, usually a tool pops into mind. And so when, when you have a, a platform like Buncee, for example, or if somebody wants to do lessons, you know, looking at something like Nearpod, where you can do a lot of different things, you don't have to have all of the different tools because most of those tools have so much within them anyway. So right. my best advice is always just to either, for me, when I started, I thought about what is, what am I missing? And mm-hmm. the biggest thing was there was a disconnect. Like if my students had questions, if they came to see me after school when I was in a meeting or if they were working on a project, you know, five hours before it was due and they couldn't reach me because we're not in school, how do I solve that? Or if they were absent, like how do they find the information? And so I started to use Edmodo and that goes back many years, but, and I didn't use it for like all of its capabilities. I just wanted this space where they knew they could go. And so for teachers, I always say, think about something that is either taking up a lot of your time or you feel like you're just not, able to reach all of your students or in, in like for me, I, I wasn't available because in that physical space. So now, mm-hmm. I mean, we have all these options and right. just start with that and, and really see what the possibilities are with it, because chances are you're already using something that you might just be using it for one reason, but it has all of those other capabilities that you just didn't think of. That's when you ask the students, <laughs> you just got to start somewhere. Yes. Yeah. That, and it's great that you, you know, that this, because the students often have an idea about the tools and the things that work for them, or they've been exposed to something or read about something, um, or used it with another teacher and, uh, you know, was, were engaged by it. So, yeah, so it's, it's really important. And I'm so glad that you gave the advice to, to our listeners about starting with something that sort of, uh, fits what you need and solves a problem. And I think if we start like that, uh, I love that you mentioned Buncee and Nearpod uh, and there are others because they're so inclusive. They, um, they listen to teachers, they take advice from teachers, uh, they know what we need and they really want to be sure that students uh, and teachers feel that they can use them for so many different things. So I've, I've seen different tools and apps expand based on the needs. And I think that's probably happened even more so this year because there's been, there have been so many conversations. And I know that you're ambassador for a number of different apps uh, and ed tech tools. And that's terrific too, because by using them in your classroom, you're able to go back and say, could we add this? Or is this, this is a need that we see um, and so, so that's really terrific also. This has been really amazing. Uh, I've loved so much of it. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about or give advice about to our listeners that I haven't touched on? Um, no, I think the only thing I would say is make sure that you connect. And I would love to have people join the Thrive and EDU community because there really are, it's amazing the different places that the educators are joining from, like from all around the world. And the connections that you, like, so if you have a question about something that you're teaching or you're just looking for a blog or a podcast or resource, and there are so many spaces out there to do that, this is a really great community to just drop a question in, or if you've written something, um, share it. Uh, that's what we're all about. So definitely recommend people check it out and join. We'd love to have, you know, anybody join in. And then if anybody wants to connect, you know, reach out to me on Twitter, um, Instagram. I would love to hear your ideas. I would love to share my own experiences or hear your own experiences as well. 
Yeah, that's wonderful. And besides the Thrive in EDU Facebook group, where else can we find you? And I'll also be sure to include them in the show notes. Yeah, so Twitter and Instagram, it's they're, they're both consistent. It's same as my email, my blog, my podcast. It's R-D-E-N-E-915, which is really just first initial, middle name, and birth date. <laughs> so <laughs> easy to remember, but uh, awesome. yeah, very consistent. Okay. Thank you so much, Rochelle. I can't thank you enough for all that you shared today. And uh, really, I'm still fangirling. So no, I hope you no, don't no. mind. <laughs> no, I fangirl right back at you when I got to meet you for the first time. So you do so many awesome things. And I'm, I'm grateful for your time and to be connected with you. Thank you so much. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to Belonging, that's Journeys number two belonging, dot webstarts.com. See you next week.